Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore the diabolical case of a reverend who was accused of dealing with the devil in order to gain magical powers for himself. But it all ended tragically after he summoned up the wrong kind of evil spirits. Now, this account comes to us courtesy of the Reverend Edmund Jones, an old favourite of mine who I've spoken about before on this podcast, and he is credited with gathering the first ever real-life collection of ghost stories in Wales back in the 18th century. And before we jump into this spooky tale, there are a couple of things to bear in mind with Edmund Jones's accounts. First of all, they were written in the 1700s, and the world has changed slightly since then. And in Wales, while it's still a very good Christian country, it is not near as God-fearing as it was at the time. Secondly, the reverend was indeed a reverend, and the Christian faith is fundamental to the way he sees the world and reports these accounts. And fundamental to the Christian faith is the belief in life after death. And so Jones is not critical when it comes to a belief in spirits, when it comes to a belief in the afterlife. As far as he is concerned, there must be spirits. Only an idiot would think there is no such things as spirits. And to deny the existence of spirits and the resurrection is, to quote, capital heresy. So bear in mind in this old tale of ghosts and devils and demons that the man recording it is as far away from a sceptic as you could hope to meet. Now, to begin at the beginning, this account concerns a reverend, not the Edmund Jones. He's recording the tale. But at the heart of this story is another reverend, a holy man of God like Jones, who, it is said, strayed from the straight and narrow. In fact, he strayed so far away from the straight and narrow that he was accused of summoning evil spirits into magic circles in the forest at the dead of night, which I think in any day and age isn't the kind of behavior you'd expect from a reverend or any good, honest person of God. And this all took place in the historical county of Breckenshire in Jones's time, what would be modern-day Powys. And it was related to Jones by yet another reverend. There's a lot of reverends to keep up with in this episode. But this tale was told to Jones by a reverend, Mr. T.L. of Llanthew. And it concerns the reverend, Mr. Penry Bailey. Reverend Mr. Penry Bailey is the diabolical reverend at the heart of this tale. He's the one being accused of all the heresies which are coming up. And he is thought to have been the curate 
of the small village of Llangamarch. Now, when it comes to a character reference, Jones did indeed meet Bailey in person himself, and he says you would not immediately assume that Bailey was up to anything diabolical. To quote, he said, he was thought by all who heard him and conversed with him to be a godly man, both preaching in public and conversing in private with religious power and life. So that description from the holiest of men from Jones sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good in Bailey's favour. But by all accounts, he was led astray early in life. And so the impression we get of Bailey early on is that to all intents and purposes, everyone who met him thought he was a good holy man and yet he had this reputation so maybe could he have been putting on an act to try and trick his fellow reverends was that one of his diabolical powers to pull the wool over their eyes well to quote once more we are told that mr bailey when a boy apt to study and inclined to study the magic art so as a youngster Bailey had a keen interest in magic. Now, that's not to say if it was good or bad magic, black or white magic, whatever you want to call it, but he had an interest. And on one fateful day, he agreed with two other young people to go to the nearby Kevin Breath Wood in the parish to conjure which all sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? If you're sneaking off to the woods after dark to do a little bit of conjuring, it doesn't sound like you're up to anything good. And to quote again, there in the wood, having made a circle, he called one of the spirits of hell, who, it seems, came upon call. And as Jones adds, as they always will do you should not be messing around with hell because if you call them they will indeed reply and you might live to regret that as certainly seems to be the case in this tale but i'm getting ahead of myself to return to the scene it would appear jones certainly believes so that mr bailey did indeed sneak into the woods as a youngster summon up a demon in a magic circle and you know we've all done we've all done silly things when we were young haven't we maybe not quite this silly and so when it came and appeared when the demon appeared the terror was so great that the stoutest of the three fainted and lay dead for some time and there's a little note in the text here from jones who does say i should interrupt quickly here and say not actually dead but as if he were dead so thank you for clearing that up reverend jones he fainted and lay dead but not really dead and so the other two carry him away with some difficulty we are told and jones interrupts once more here i do love his little interruptions little colorful interruptions and he says so he must have been a heavy chap exclamation mark for two strong young boys to have difficulty carrying him and what's interesting here is that when the boy who fainted 
came back round again, he, to quote, declared that he saw an exceeding dreadful appearance in that circle. The face of the demon was an exceeding dreadful appearance. But Mr. Bailey himself claims that he saw nothing. Nevertheless, this whole escapade had really freaked the three of them out. They knew they were messing with things they shouldn't be messing with, but when things start appearing and people start fainting, they decided to get out of there. And if that wasn't enough, the final straw, the final part of this terrifying ordeal came when they tried to leave because they were using a candle to light the way. They'd used a candle to find the spot for the magic circle and they were now going to use that candle to leave again. But that candle was suddenly extinguished. And then, to quote, the terror came upon them. Because yes, while it's perfectly natural for a candle to be blown out in a forest, for it to happen at that moment, could it have been blown out by an evil spirit maybe trying to block their escape? Who knows, but aren't you glad that nowadays we can rely on our torches and mobile phones to light the way and get us out of forests. Evil spirits can't blow out our mobile phones, but they, well, they could steal them, I guess, which would be even worse, wouldn't it? But uh, anyway, I digress. That wraps up how people believed Mr. Bailey first got mixed up in the dark arts. And even though he successfully became a reverend in later life, there was always this suspicion that something just wasn't quite right about Bailey. And there's one example Jones gives us which connects him with some kind of telepathic ability. Of course, a sure sign that you've been dabbling in the dark arts is if you have a telepathic ability. But if that was the case, Bailey certainly wasn't worried about people knowing about it. It wasn't something he kept hidden. He was quite open about it. And to quote from Jones once more, Mr. B, by some means or other, knew when he was from home, if any man was at his house inquiring for him, and whether it was a man or a woman that did inquire for him. So, not the most demonic of powers, you know, he wasn't making walls bleed or people's heads spin round or anything, but he had this power, this strange knack, you could say, of just knowing, no matter where he was, if somebody arrived at his house looking for him, he would know, and more specifically, he would know if they were male or female. And there's an example of this happening when he was conversing with a friend some distance from home, when he turned to his friend and said, a man and not a woman was at his house and that they'd been there a while looking for him. He told the friend he knew it and that it was a man who wanted to see him. Now, at this point, the man he was talking to who had heard rumours about Bailey's dark 
past and maybe he didn't want to confront it until now but he says to him quite bluntly i think for somebody you're supposed to be friendly with or on friendly terms with to a man of the cloth even but he says to him quite bluntly i don't like you that, that that's getting straight to the point isn't it i do not like you and i am afraid you are guilty of that which you are charged with even conjuring or dealing in the black art so it would appear that this friend or not much of a friend but this acquaintance had certainly heard the tales of a young bailey sneaking off into the forest and messing around with magic circles and now he had what appeared to be first-hand experience of seeing these powers in action and bailey for his part rather than as mentioned earlier rather than trying to hide these things or play them down he was quite proud of them he was quite blasé and announcing them and what i do find interesting about this whole thing is that whether or not you choose to believe this man did have powers or not he certainly would have known that by declaring that he had such powers he would be causing a controversy tongues would start wagging and it would cause problems for him as a reverend so why was he doing it why not just keep these powers if indeed they are powers quiet and to himself well he's about to dig himself an even bigger hole because the man says to him i will go home with you to see whether it be as you say whether indeed there was somebody waiting for him and whether indeed it was a man who had been there a while and so they went and they found it was as mr bailey had said now the man himself didn't quite know what to make of it and bailey as mentioned he was quite blasé and proud of his powers and he didn't just stand there all smug looking and you know i told you so he went a step further he decided to show this man how his magic worked and to quote once more he says i will show you my rules to know whether any person man or woman is at my house and showed him some kind of writing in which the man could see nothing like conjuring or magic spells now sadly that's the only description we have of this writing but it would appear that bailey attributed his powers to some kind of some kind of scrawl that meant very little to this man who saw it and that that man was confused frankly i'm just as confused as well but i think we can say bailey believed the source of his power was some kind of handwritten magic spell and at this point in the account the reverend jones who hasn't interrupted for a while but the reverend jones gives us his thoughts on what he thinks was going on with bailey now as mentioned he had met bailey before he'd had a conversation with him and to quote he said to me indeed he seemed to be a godly man both in speech and behavior something more than commonly so so not just a godly man in his behavior he was extra godly so how could he be guilty of anything that looked like dealing in the magic art i cannot conceive nevertheless jones concedes that something isn't right and he suggests that to quote 
He was very young when I saw him, but he did not live very long. End of quote. So is Jones suggesting then that his early death was not a coincidence? Was his life cut short because of his dealings with the devil? Well, there is a suggestion reading between the lines, or maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But he certainly did die young, and those who knew him considered him guilty of the demonic crimes he was charged with. And as I've said many a time before on this podcast, one of the the great things about the supposedly real-life tales is that they are real-life tales, and as such, they are not always wrapped up nicely at the end with some kind of big reveal, some kind of big conclusion. In this case, it's left to us to make up our own minds Or we can turn to Jones once more, who does indeed have his final thoughts on the case. Now, as I mentioned, Jones is 100% convinced in the existence of spirits, and that includes the existence of evil spirits. And while he would never suggest or condone in a million years anyone else sneaking into the forest and making a magic circle and trying to summon up these evil spirits. But he does wonder that if somebody were to do so, and he would never suggest they do, but if they were to do so, and if they were not a reverend, a holy man like Bailey had been, but what if somebody from the other end of the scale, what if a total atheist was in the middle of this magic circle? Then surely, to quote they would be convinced of his infidelity, it being better for him to be convinced by any means that to live and die in the capital heresy of denying the being of spirits and the resurrection. And I will translate that for you now quickly, and it's a slightly extreme approach, but what Jones is suggesting is that If there is somebody out there who does not believe in God, well, plonk them in this circle. And once they've seen how bad the powers of hell can be, they will not be an atheist much longer. And I guess that would be a very effective way of getting more people into church on a Sunday. Although, ethically, I do have my reservations about throwing people into circles of hell in order to change their ways. But anyway, that wraps up our tale of the diabolical reverend and wraps up another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed it and you'd like to support the podcast, you can now buy me a coffee via my website, which will help keep the podcast going into the future. Or you could just leave a nice review or give it a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the options are on whatever platform you are consuming this on. If you'd like more ghosts and folklore, and maybe some more diabolical reverence, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you do, be sure to say hello. It's always lovely when people say hello. And as well as this podcast, 
I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, including Ghosts of Wales, accounts from the Victorian archives, and the most recent one, Paranormal Wales, all of which are available from good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. No star.